Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning again. This is hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, well, you can still listen to it. You can download uh, the Faith Radio app or you can just tell like whatever your podcast services that you want to subscribe to Mornings with Carmen and then you'll get, you know, yeah, all the goodness every day. So I've got um, some headlines for us out of what I will call the um, the business section of the newspaper. Do you remember? I mean, do you actually remember holding a newspaper and, you know, it was divided into sections? There was like, well, there's like the front page section, which included, well, the 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 most critical news, like right in section one. So national, international, local, maybe, but sports, entertainment, classified ads. Remember those? Um, And so. These headlines are going to come from what, if we were opening a newspaper, would be like the business section. Oh, which probably, remember remember when you had to go to the newspaper to like see, you know, where stocks ended <laughs> the day before? Yeah, I don't even know. Does anybody print that anymore? And if they do, why? I mean, like, right? You can just go online and find out. Your phone will tell you. So here are a couple of uh, business-related headlines. So in California, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill yesterday into law. So this is now a law in the state of California, which let's remember is a big economy. So in the state of California, they have now raised the state minimum wage for fast food workers to $22 starting next year. So the bill creates a fast food council that's empowered to set wages and working hours at chains that have 100 or more locations across the country. So it's not that they have 100 or more locations in California. It's that nationwide, they have 100 or more locations. And then in California, they will be required to pay their um, hourly workers in those fast food restaurants as much as $22 an hour, depending on what this fast food council decides. That's going to be an interesting conversation in terms of the way the government... um, puts its hand on and begins to control private industry in really significant ways. So that's an interesting story to follow. And then CVS, which, you know, you think of as like uh, the the local um, pharmacy, right? That's your, you know, your corner, your corner drugstore. CVS is um, set to acquire Signify Health. And Signify Health is a group that um, has doctors who make house calls. So just thought that was fascinating that CVS is getting into the house call business and, you know, what was old is new again. Doctors making house calls. Anyway, it's an $8 billion deal. So you're probably going to hear some about that as well. Staying on the work front here because Bill English is up next from BibleandBusiness.com and we like to talk about, you know, business related things. Um, I want us to keep in mind these verses from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, put your whole heart and soul into it, as into work that's done for God and not merely for men, 
knowing that your real reward is a heavenly one. So today, whatever you do, in word or in deed, like do it all as unto the Lord, whatever you do, put your whole heart into it. Are you wholeheartedly working? Um, Or are you, as apparently half of American workers are doing, quietly quitting? What is quiet quitting? What is the great resignation? And what are some of the regrets related to it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Carmen. How are you today? Well, I am well, and I am doing what I do as unto the Lord, and I'm doing so with joy because I love my job, but apparently there are other people out there who are quiet quitting um, and others who are kind of hopping around uh, in terms of work. Talk with us about the great resignation and how it is giving way to the great regret. Yeah, the, the the great resignation. We during the pandemic, about four million people jumped jobs. That's about three percent of our workforce. They just switched jobs, and they really thought the grass was going to be greener on the other side, right? So they they left because they thought they were going. Well, almost all of them got higher pay because of the workforce shortage. But what they encountered was either a bad culture, or the job duties that they were actually performing were different than what was promised. Um, a number of them were in remote jobs, and that led them to feel isolated and disconnected. And um, employers still needed to get work done. And so since they had fewer employer, employees and they had newer employees, they just dumped a truckload of work on these new employees. And uh, some people really experienced a loss of work-life balance as a result. So that all those things combined have led to what you just called the great regret, right? Where people are now regretting that they left their job. They're finding that the increased salary really doesn't make up for the negatives that they got in their job. And I think that's why those who are sticking in their jobs that they don't like, that's why we're seeing this quiet quitting. They're, you know, people are just going to do what they have to do to get by but they're not going to do any more um, than what's necessary. They they don't like their jobs. They don't like their employers. They don't like the culture. But for whatever reason, either they're not changing or they can't find anything that they really want to do somewhere else. So they're quiet quitting. So to define quiet quitting, um, I think you did it really well, but I'm going to repeat it. It's like performing sure. only the tasks that you're required to. You're not going above and beyond. You're not... Um, you're not looking for extra opportunities to, um, you know, to advance uh, what your company is doing. Um, you're just doing enough to um, to satisfy, you know, like a like a C level grade, um, in, instead of uh, doing your work as you know as Colossians three would describe, you know, wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Um, it occurs to me, Bill, that there's a worldview operating here and maybe we are maybe part of what we are seeing is 
as people have abandoned their belief in God and therefore, you know, any sense that what they're doing is for some reward beyond this life, um, that that why would I go the extra mile? I mean, why would I go, you know, second mile love? Why would I go? Why would I put my heart and soul into something um, if if this is all there is and I'm just a cog in a functional wheel? Like, why would you? What would the motivation be? Well, yeah, because you wouldn't have any meaning. You know, without God, we don't have any meaning in life. And without meaning, we don't have motivation. And so you have to have a certain level of meaning. Uh, and, and meaning by that, I, what I mean, no pun intended, is that it is, it is intrinsic. It is not financial meaning. It is, this fulfills a purpose in my life. And so if I don't have a purpose or something outside of work to which my life is tethered that is transcendent, um, then, yeah, why would I do more than what I have to do? Yeah, you know, so that, there's a you know, there's a worldview thing going on behind this quiet quitting thing. There is, and and you mentioned it was a C grade level, and I I agree with that. I think that's a great way to describe it because people who do C level work they still pass the course, mm-hmm. but nobody, um, but but they don't really advance themselves and they don't really advance the company. So people are doing enough to not get noticed, to not get fired but they're not doing any more than what they have to to just get by. That's the quiet quitting. Yeah. So um, one other thing related to this would be um, people who liked not going into the office. They liked the at least a hybrid uh, work schedule, or they, um, they don't really want to return to the office. And major employers are saying, hey, we want our people back in the office at least a certain number of days a week. And then there are people who are like, nope, I like that nobody is keeping track of what I'm doing or where I am. I like the leniency. And so those people are now looking for um, jobs where they can continue to sort of be their own supervisors. Yeah, and I suppose that there are some jobs out there like that. In the company that I'm running, we require everybody in the home office to be in the office on Wednesdays. Hmm. And then I let the department managers decide the rotation schedules on the other four days. But at least on Wednesdays, everybody is in the office. Everybody sees everybody. And uh, the other thing that we've done, when you mentioned remote people trying to fly by without uh, a lot of supervision, the other thing we've done is that um, we've imp- implemented a value in our, not a value, but a standard operating principle in our company where managers are allowed to ask detailed questions about work product at any time, and refusal to engage in those discussions can be a terminable offense. So um, managers have to, have to, have to be able to look at the work product of their team members. Um, otherwise, you're right. People are just going to slack off and not do much work at all. Yeah. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Bill English here in just a moment. You can find him at BibleandBusiness.com. Um, we're going to talk about um, how many of us are struggling to pay our bills, particularly utility bills, um, and what that might look like as the fall and winter unfold. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I will trust where you lead. I will trust when I can't see. Morning by morning. Continuing our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, lots of people um, having a hard time paying their utility bills, um, 20 million U.S. households behind on their payments, um, facing shutoffs. Talk with us about just the uh, what the status of what's going on, and then we're going to talk about maybe some of the causes and what people can do if they're behind. Okay. Uh, yeah, first this comes from a Bloomberg article. When Paul sent me this link, I was stunned. I had no idea 20 million homes were behind on their energy bills. But the, the Bloomberg article is titled a, a, a Tsunami of Shutoffs. And what they're highlighting here is that uh, there's almost $18 billion of overdue utility bills just in the United States. And uh, people, especially at the lower uh, economic end, are just having a hard time paying their bills simply because they're not able to find the work that they that they uh, want to do or, or can do. And, our, you know, I can hear people screaming in the radio, right? Bill, there's 11 million open jobs. How can they not find work? Uh, a lot of those jobs are, um, are structured such that there's just not a lot of people who can fit into those jobs. Just because you have 11 million open jobs, and a bunch of people looking for, for work, it doesn't mean that there's always going to be good fits. And so um, a lot of these homes have fallen behind, uh, and it's, it's, it's really difficult. The gal that they highlight here in the article, Carmen, uh, her job or what she was doing before the pandemic was cleaning homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a house cleaner, and she was independent, and she was making a nice living. But the pandemic, you know, everybody got rid of those kinds of luxury items. And her income went to almost zero, and as a result, she had a hard time and still having a hard time paying her bills. Yeah, and I think about um, the things that maybe we don't pay for anymore um, and the people who are affected by the things we don't do anymore, like the places we don't go. Um, you know, the it's a, it is interesting to consider... Your, the the impact that you have as a person in the economy um, for other people who do other kinds of things that you used to make use of and you don't anymore. And she's, you know, she she's an exemplar of that. Yes, yes. And each of us have, have jettisoned certain things in our lives that we just don't do anymore. You're You're absolutely right about that. And there's always an economic impact to somebody somewhere with these trade-off choices. So let's talk about um, what people can do. If they are, um, if they're behind on a utility bill and or some other kind of bill, 
um, I'm thinking the first thing that you do is you humble yourself and you contact your lender, you contact the loan service, you contact the creditor. I mean, does that is that what you would do first or would you do something else? I know in a business when we get behind, you know, I'm in the turnaround business. When when we walk in and we find that clients are behind on the bills, that's the first thing we do is contact all the creditors. One of the first things we do. And uh, we get between the creditors and the owner of the business and just say, look, here's the truth of what's happening. Um, and uh, And this is what we can and can't do. You would be surprised at how many creditors will work with you if you're just honest with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I owned a business once where we got way behind as a result of the uh, uh, the 2007 and 8 debacle. And I actually strengthened some of my vendor relationships by making those calls every Friday afternoon and saying, here's what I can do, here's what I can't do. And then I always kept my word. So, yeah. Um, so just reflect for with me for just a moment. Um, I hear these credit counseling services advertised a lot in all kinds of, of places and spaces. I imagine that folks who have fallen behind on their bills get a lot of um, pressure or, you know, advertising uh, from credit counseling services. Um, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. How do you feel about those? You know, I, I've never checked them out, so I don't have an opinion about them. I don't even know what their process is. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've never looked at it, Carmen, so I just don't have an opinion as to what they do. Maybe yeah, somebody so can I, text in. I don't know. Yeah, maybe somebody can text in if you're, you know, you're familiar with reputable credit counseling organizations or you've had an experience with one. I'm I'm. I'm betting that I'd rather rely on one that's nonprofit than one that's profit. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, you'd be looking for trained professionals. Um, and you'd definitely be looking for, you know, something that didn't cost you additional money. So um, if you've got an experience with a credit counseling service, maybe you serve with one. We'd, um, we'd like to hear from you because I think people uh, are going are gonna to need more information about these things. Also, just the sort of the basic council bill of taking control of your finances, like track your spending, build a budget, pay off your debt, manage and protect your credit. I mean, right? Just some, some get back to some of the basics. Yeah, and some of the basics are um, if you have a if you have a mountain of debt, take whatever if you can do this. Try to build some cash in savings and try not to pay all the debt off more quickly. And I know that you're going to pay more interest over the long haul, but it's really helpful to build a nest egg of cash that you can rely on in case things actually get worse rather than better. And so, I, you know, I used to be of the opinion if I have a dollar and I, you know, in my hand and I have a dollar of debt, I'm going to pay the debt and I'm, you know, that way I'm clean and I'm free. But now today, if I have, let's say, 10000 of debt and I have 10000 of cash, I'm probably going to save five of it and pay five of the debt. And mm-hmm. that way I've got a cushion. I've got a cushion there to rely on if I need it down the road. I like that. I like that. I know that some of you listening right now are thinking, I can't even imagine having a cushion of any kind. Um, but we are going to be of encouragement to you. Um, thank you so much uh, for Anne who texted in Money Wise. Money Wise, it's featured here on Faith Radio and it's a great program. So, Anne, oh, thank you for that shout out to, to Money Wise. Really appreciate um, that. Um, hey, we want to be praying for each other. We want to be encouraging one another. We know that times are, are challenging Lori is saying, um, 
uh, as a social worker, you know, right? It's uh, it's a challenge, you know, to put together enough uh, financial resources sometimes to to make it all uh, work together. And a lot of jobs, Mary is saying right here, there's just a lot of jobs that just don't pay enough. Um, yeah, we get it. Thanks so much. Scott says, hey, have people check out the Mint app, M-I-N-T. There you go. And then Richard Thomas is saying, um, Crown Financial um, is another place people can turn. Hey, thank you all for um, participating in the conversation. This is a community effort here uh, here in the Mornings with Carmen Faith Radio listening family. Bill, as always, thank you so much uh, for joining us. You bet. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Hey, let's turn for a moment and take some time with John Stone Street and Breakpoint. We're going to talk about uh, the sphere of the family and particularly parenting here in just a moment. Justin Early is going to join us for that conversation, and we're going to talk about the theology of parenting. So just for a moment, pause and consider what that might mean. Like we all have an operational theology in every aspect of our lives. I mean, we have a theology of work. Um, We just talked about that with Bill English. Like, are you actually working as unto the Lord or, you know, are you working as if the Lord is not Lord of your work? I mean, that's a huge question. There's a theology of work. There's a theology of everything. And so there is a theology of parenting. What is it? What's, uh, how might we talk about that? How might we take big systematic theological categories and apply them to parenting and live them out in our um, in our life. So that's um, that's coming up in just a moment. But I got a couple of headlines here um, to make you aware of out of Congress. Um, there is a congressman from California that is demanding more transparency from health care sharing ministries. Um, if you are one of the millions of families that now participate in a health care sharing ministry like um Samaritan Ministries, or I mean, there's lots of others. Um, I'm just thinking here that we should be aware of the conversations that are happening at a national level about the uh, the things that we do as Christians, you know, to cooperate with one another, to still satisfy government regulations, but also to be sure that real needs are met in real families. So that is definitely a conversation to be watching, and I will keep my eye on it and provide more information as it comes. Democrats are reportedly set to add gay marriage to the congressional spending bill. And you say to yourself, what do these two things have to do with one another? Well, precisely nothing. But um, if Congress doesn't pass uh, a continuing resolution in terms of spending before September 30th, the U.S. government is going to shut down. And so even though the continuing resolution, the spending bill, has absolutely nothing to do with same-sex marriage— which is protected under the ruling of the Supreme Court in the Obergefell decision a number of years ago. Um, This is an effort by some to force others to cede ground uh, on a social issue. Um, Otherwise, you know, they'll be pointed to as as holding up, you know, everything and shutting the government down. So there's a there's a very, very political uh, maneuver going on here. Democrats believe they've got an advantage on social issues. And so they're going to try to keep those key issues where they have strong approval in the headlines ahead of the midterm elections. And so, you know, I guess it. I I lift it up so that you'll know 
It's probably going to um, jump into the headlines. And it's probably going to, you know, affect a member of Congress that represents you. And so if you wanted to be of encouragement to your member of Congress um, that marriage matters to you um, and that you don't think that they have to give in every time somebody says they need to change their uh, position on something in order to um, accomplish something else. So there you go. Um, And then, again, speaking of marriage and parenting, our friend Justin Early from The Common Rule and Habits of the Household He's been posting a series of online articles on the theology of parenting. So um, if you think about theology as not just, you know, what do I think about the nature of God and the ways of God, but how are the ways of God and the nature of God actually applied in every part of my life? And how do I apply those to parenting? What's my theology of parenting? We're going to unpack that next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, if you didn't put your thinking cap on yet, um, now would be the time. Justin Early is back. Um, you remember him from our conversations about the common rule. Um, and um, what, what's the parenting one about home, the household? What are we Habits doing in the household? Habits of the household. Habits yeah, of the household. I, Habits of the household, such um, such good conversations, such excellent um, work, such excellent books. Um, Justin, I love what you've been doing on your website, and we're going to direct people to it, justinwhitmullearly.com, which the easiest way to get that link is to get the show notes for today so that um, you don't have any, to- any trouble uh, spelling all of that. You could also just Google the common rule and the first name Justin, and it will all pop up as well. But on your website, Justin, you've been... Um, You've been unrolling this series on the theology of parenting. So let's start with, um, wow, big, big theological category areas, um, atonement, sanctification, creation, resurrection, there's eight of them. So talk with us about these theological, uh, I mean, point, I guess we'll use the word points, um, and then we'll talk about how they're reflected in the life of the parent. Sure. Yeah. Well, this all occurred to me this spring when my pastor, his name is Corey, we're at Third Church here in Richmond, was doing a sermon series on atonement just before Easter. And he mentioned as an application point that, you know, if you're a parent, you understand a certain aspect of atonement. That is that you've got to give your life for someone else to thrive. And it was a wonderful little application point because every parent in the room realized intuitively, oh, wait, that's what I do. I die all these little deaths every day, waking up in the middle of the night or bending down to clean up that milk again or talking my teenager through a problem that I don't want to talk about right now. There's all these little ways that we sacrifice so that our kids can thrive. And suddenly I just had this light bulb moment where I thought, I bet atonement is not the only concept that we can understand even more by reflecting on the life of parenting. And so I just started all this brainstorming and journaling about, you know, what what else do we learn about God by being a parent? And it led me to all these categories. Yeah. So talk just quickly, um, list the eight and then we'll take um, we'll take a minute and unpack each one. Yeah. So I'm sure you could do this um, ad infinitum and keep going. But the eight that I looked at were atonement, incarnation, sanctification, creation, 
Coram Deo, Grace and Truth and Resurrection. So those were those were some that inspired me. All right. And Coram Deo for people who um, haven't been in Latin lately. Yeah, it's the idea of being before the face of God. It's a, a kind of a theological concept that's been uh, reflected throughout the millennia of Christian thinkers, basically saying that the, the point of life is to be in the presence or before the face of God. So I tend to think of that as living my life before an audience of one. That's mm, sort of my very good. My, yes. my personal Coram Deo uh, theology. Um, so um, when we talk about atonement, we're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about Jesus's sacrifice for us um, upon the cross. Um, when we're talking about parenting and we're talking about living out a theology of atonement, um, you know, there is this endless number of sacrifices that we make for our children each and every day, it, just in order that they would be able to survive, let alone thrive. Is that the yes. gist of, the, of, of this section? That, that is the gist of, of atonement. And the idea is that the idea is we, you know, we can learn a lot about who God is, right? Theology being the study of who God is through books and through sermons um, and through reading our Bible and reflection. And those are wonderful. But there is also reality that we can, and I think this is a, kind of a beautiful freeing reality. We can learn about God through living the life that God has called us to as well. And so what I'm, you know, I'm thinking about a category like atonement, like what can we learn about this rich category of atonement just by being the parent God has called us to be? And you can't, and I hope this encourages parents, you know, think about all the things that you don't want to do every day that you're nonetheless called to do and realize that you can be edified, encouraged, and formed in the image of Jesus Christ by doing them for the sake of loving your kids, just like Jesus did what he had to do for you, making you a child of God. And this teaches you something about the rich nature of atonement as you go about in the small sacrifices of your day. It also totally distinguishes Christian parenting or, or Christians who are parents from other parents in the culture. I mean, there's no way that you could have a conversation about your child being a choice or, um, uh, or a conversation about living, you know, your best life I mean, I, I imagine this is um, this is where when I see people resenting their children, when I see people mm. resent resenting their that their kid is sick or resenting that they've got to go do pick up their kid at school or like when that resentment comes out, when I see that, I know I'm dealing with a with a parent who's not a Christian. They do not wow. understand the the sacrificial love of the father expressed through the son. And they're not living a Holy Spirit empowered life like you can see it. Um, that is a wonderful way to to distinguish the call of a Christian parent. I mean, I think about the whole concept of abortion is mm. an evil inversion of our call as parents. I mean, in abortion, we, we literally say this child needs to die so that I can live the life that I want to live, which is mm -hmm. the opposite of the gospel, where, where Jesus said, I will die so that my children can thrive. That, you know, the paradigm of the gospel is our paradigm of parenting, mm -hmm. which is why atonement is such a, I think, a rich concept to kick off a, a look at the theology of parenting. 
So the next um, step in, in the conversation about the theology of parenting that you unpacked is this quorum deo, this attention is life, this concept that the Christian life is lived before the face of God. Let's apply that to um, parenting. Yeah, well, this is a rich and beautiful concept because it, it gets at the idea that what we're looking for in our life with God is literally just to be in his presence before his face, right? This is what we had in Eden. This is what we lost in the fall. This is what the the death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit gives us back the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And this is what we find in the kingdom in Revelation, that we are present and looking at God. And so part of our spiritual DNA is, is to behold each other, is to behold God. And there is a beautiful reflection of this that any parent will intuit if you think about it. <laughs> that your kids are looking for you, right? Like watch your, me, your kids, watch me, <laughs> yeah, watch, watch exactly. me. Like mm-hmm. the amount of times I hear your papa watch, or that I hear them say, "Hey, mommy, watch." Um, your kids crave your presence and your attention, just as our souls crave the presence in the face of God. The character of God is to never withhold that, to always give that. The, the mediating sacrifice of Jesus Christ means that we always have the face of God. And, you know, practical point to apply in parenting, think about how you are like a God, not a God, you are reflecting the character of God to your kids when you give them your attention. And of course, this means crossing the, the chasm of screens and smartphones and realizing that there are competing things in your life that take your face elsewhere. So this is a one way we can dwell on the beauty of God saying his face is always with his children. How could we give our attention to our children and realize that is one of our main calls as parents. It brings to mind um, the blessing in in Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I mean, I think that, Mm. yeah, God God is doing for us what he then in turn um, certainly hopes we will do for, um, for others, in particular our children. We're talking with Justin Early. We're talking about the theology of parenting. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. And we'll be right back with the incarnation. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. He put that hunger in your heart. talking with Justin Early. We're talking about the theology of parenting. You can find um, all of these posts on his website, justinwhitmullearly.com. The next one is incarnation, and this is the embodiment one. Like, this is the the formation one. And so talk, talk with us about applying the theology or living out the theology of the incarnation in our parenting. 
Yes, I, this is just something I love to dwell on every Advent and Christmas season. That the reality that God does not just want to communicate things to us in words or in speech. He desires to be with us, amongst us, even when it's at great cost to him. So part of the richness of the incarnation is thinking that God wants to be embodied with us. There is no end to the application points you could think about for this for parenting. I mean, think think about that parenting is not about primarily telling your kids things. It's not primarily about educating them. Um, it's not primarily about getting them into the right school or getting them the right achievements. It's about being with them and forming them into a lover of God and neighbor by your presence. So there's just all these things we could think about, about, oh, this, the, just like God insists on being amongst and with us in order to love us into the creations he's called us to be. We, in raising our kids, need to think primarily in terms of how are we with them? How are we amongst them, relating to them, and forming them into a lover of God and neighbor? Words do matter, but presence matters more. So you would love, if you've never read it, Kara Powell's Growing With, um, because mm. this that's like the theme of her whole book, and it's really written for parents of teenagers. And so, you know, like, how are we going to be with them in this stage of life? And what does withing look like? And so, anyway, oh, so have, su- wow, I'll go super check that out. That's beautiful, right? Yeah, super strong on this incarnational piece. All right, talk with us about sanctification. Um, like I, this is hard because, right, we we want our kids to be achievers. We want them to do well. But yeah, they don't have to do stuff to get us to love them. No, they don't. I mean, sanctification is the, the, the idea that God is not finished with us after salvation. And this is a just, you know, rich concept for you to dwell on this morning. Think about that. You know, you are saved by grace and that work is finished, which is incredible. It means, though, that the, your life is now secure with God, but it's he's not done with you. He is still crafting you into that finished product that he has called you to be. And the way that he goes about this sanctification is the same way he goes about his salvation. That is by grace. You know, so the idea of sanctification does mean that we are becoming more like Christ. But that's not about earning. That's not about earning the favor of God. But it is about effort. It's about cooperating with God and receiving that grace and doing something with it. Uh, so how do we apply that to parenting? Parenting. Well, think about your kids should never feel like they need to earn your love, period. Period. That's how we reflect the char- character of God to them. But your kids, and you should be helping them, put effort into growing into the people that they should be. And so that means that the idea of discipline and motivation are things that we're, we can't, as Christian parents, do through shame do through withholding our love from them. We can call them forward, but it has to be through grace, gentle, loving, persistent grace, just like our Savior calls us forward. I I just, I love that one. Um, That that particular one, Justin, um, I put like like stars next to, because I think for me that's, Mm. um, it's hard, right? There's, you're trying to encourage them. You're trying to motivate them. They're each unique. And so they're Motivated and encouraged by different things. And anyway, that one was really helpful for me. Well, yes. talk with us about a, um, a good theology of creation and what that has to do with our parenting. Oh, yeah. Well, creation. And I love it. So if you've ever done a systematic theology um, course or just looked into it, you, you'll go through all these aspects of the world and God and, and people. And I've always loved thinking about the theology of creation, the idea that God's love overflows into his acts of creation. I mean, you might think, 
you know, why did he, why did he do it? Like, why did he invent the word? Because he's overflowing, generous love. And that idea that God's love creates life is the theology of creation, but it's also the theology of biology, right? I mean, there's this, mm. there's this idea that what makes children, the love of a mother and father coming together. We, they, biologically, they do not exist without a mother and father, but it doesn't stop there. We continue to create life in our homes and our kids through the words we speak to them. And I love the parallel to creation. They think about well, how did God create the world through his overflowing love by speaking it into existence. And it just, it gives me a way to grab onto the importance of my words in the home. I can create or destroy life as a father by speaking the words of affirmation and love or by speaking the words of anger and shame. And so it's, it's a rich place for you to dwell on the power of your words. You are an image bearer of God. You can create life through your words, but you are also a fallen image bearer. And anyone, everyone who has a parent knows that the words of a parent can be the most dangerous or the most life-giving thing that you experience. So use your words to build life and be careful not to use them to shame or to condemn. Okay, we don't have time to do the last the last three. So can I just be like, this is so inappropriate for me to ask on air, but will you come back in a couple of weeks and we can do the other three? <laughs> you know, I'll always say yes. So that's not okay. inappropriate. You know what I'll so, say. <laughs> so here's what I want to say to, um, to uh, on this, on the, cre- on this creation one. Um, this, uh, this was the one that took me, um, most directly back to the common rule. Um, Mm. because this is the, in the word of God before you're into anything else one, this is the one that if I'm not in the word of God, then the word of God is not in me. And that there, therefore what's going to come out of me when I speak to my children and to everyone else is not going to be, um, you know, seasoned with, what what God's view on something would be and God's spirit um, and the tenderness with which he speaks. So um, this one yes. for me was uh, really intimately connected back to the common rule. All right. Well, we just got Justin to commit to coming back and doing the last three with us. Grace and truth, <laughs> evil exists, and resurrection. We're going to continue in a couple of weeks um, because we have our fall fundraiser next week. So we can't do it next week. But the week after, maybe, we'll be able to talk with um, Justin again. And we'll talk with these last three areas of theology as we apply them to parenting. But you can actually get it all right now at JustinWhitmoEarly.com. Justin, um, as always, thank you so much. What a gift. You bet. Thank you, Carmen. Can't wait to come back. Well, well we can't wait to have you back. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Zucchini, zucchini, a versatile vegetable dream, an Italian delight that grows in the night, tender and juicy and green. Yeah, that is the little ditty we're playing at the end of the show as a nod back to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds like zucchini Well, it says he's going to get a small crop. In the zucchini case, he's going to get a big crop, but we're not arguing with scripture. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. So all of that is a reminder that our um, Faith Radio fundraiser, fall fundraiser is next week. Please be praying with us and for us as we prepare 
Um, pray, you know, how God might want to use your faith radio story to inspire and encourage others. Maybe you could give us a call and record your faith radio story at one. What is our phone number? 877-933-2484. You're going to want to push the number two. And, um, you know, if you want to offer up a matching gift to challenge others to give, we would um, love to talk with you about that as well. So you can email Carter Dreblo, Carter at MyFaithRadio.com. It's been a delight to spend this time with you today. You can grab today's podcast and share it with someone else, again, at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.